You're listening to Preservation Destination, the podcast where we explore the history of the built environment. Whether you are a preservation pro, dabbler, or just into fascinating history, you are in the right place. Join our host, Taylor Volz, as she interviews experts in the field of preservation as they pass their knowledge on to us. And here is your host of Preservation Destination, Taylor Volz. Welcome to this week's episode of Preservation Destination. Today, my guest is preservationist and wood window enthusiast, Katie Topman. Welcome, Katie. Thanks so much for having me. Sure. Can you please tell us a little bit about yourself and what it is that you do? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I currently live in New Braunfels, Texas, which for those of you who may not be familiar with Texas geography, it's about, I would say, 40 minutes um, northeast of San Antonio. Texas. So we're kind of in between San Antonio and Austin. And I've lived here for about I think five years or so. I was born in California and I was there for maybe until I was seven. And then my family and I moved to El Paso, Texas. And so I was there for a little bit kind of through middle school. And then um, I actually moved up to Taos, New Mexico to live with my dad. And I did a couple years of high school there. And then I ended up moving back to Texas, um, probably midway through high school to live with my mom in Abilene. And I finished high school there. And then I went to Sam Houston State University for undergrad. And uh, that's in Huntsville, Texas. And I finished that and then um, moved to Houston. And then I ended up uh, going to grad school in New York. And I can talk a little more about kind of that later on. So I've, I've lived quite uh, all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, And so, but I I found myself back in Texas in 2010, uh, kind of towards the end of 2010. And then I started, I did group schooling at UT um, San Antonio in their uh, preservation or historic preservation certificate program. And I've been in Texas ever since. And professionally, I currently work for the city of San Antonio's Office of Historic Preservation as a historic preservation specialist. And I do a lot of other kind of outside in my free time preservation activities as well. Okay. Let's let's start with your education. You mentioned that a little bit, but your your educational background is in the arts and you have a master of arts. And so so how did you go from that to you did a graduate certificate in historic preservation? It, like how, how did you get from one to the other? What what, what was the 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 road that you took uh, to end up where you are now? Yeah, so it's been it's been kind of a fun journey. I I was kind of in preparing for talking to you. I was kind of looking back on my uh, my progression, and I I really think my first introduction to historic preservation was in undergrad. There was a um, a summer class I took. I think it was in the summer, and we the class focused on restoring a um, an old log cabin actually that was I think it's still on the grounds of the the Living Heritage Museum um, over there in Huntsville, right across the street from the university. I had this wonderful teacher. Her name is Caroline Krim. I think she retired though. But yeah, we we focused, we looked at a lot at um, methods, materials, and um, also doing the research and history on the actual structure itself. I, I did that class and it was it was really great. And I just it kind of put it in the back burner, I guess. And I had always wanted to work in a museum or be a curator of some kind. And so that's kind of where it's where the art history came in and that whole path. And um, 
And so that was in my mind. And I was like, I'm going to do this. So in looking at grad schools, I actually somehow stumbled upon um, Sotheby's and Christie's, which are the auction houses um, internationally. And they both have these educational programs. And I think they initially evolved from training auctioneers. And so they, then they evolved into, you know, teaching individuals about art business, um, art history, contemporary art, kind of that whole gamut. And I was accepted into the Sotheby's Institute of Art um, with the, with the intent of going into museum work and being a curator. And I, I moved to New York in, gosh, I think it was September of 2007 and pursued a degree in um, American fine and decorative art. So very much a niche <laughs> that my mom was like, really, are you, are you sure? <laughs> yeah. I was yeah. like, yes, mom. And so they, uh, my family was really supportive. And so they, they really helped me get, get there and get through school. And New York, for anyone who's either never been or has visited and they're just kind of blown away by that whole, just the entire experience of it, um, I, I would recommend to anybody to at least try to live there for six months just to do it. I, I think now I don't think I would I'd be able to do it, like live there again. But at the time I, I was young and, and adventurous and, but it was, it was a pretty amazing experience. So I, uh, quickly learned. And so the, the program itself focused not only on uh, paint, fine art, so paintings, sculpture, things like that. It also focused on decorative art, so furniture, interiors, uh, porcelain, silver, kind of the things that you would you know, see in a house. And so mm-hmm. we did do, we did visit a lot of house museums and um, one of our uh, instructors, I think co, I think co-leads on the program, was a curator at the Metropolitan Museum of Art, but she also, her background was in historic preservation. And so I, I had talked to her a little bit before, kind of after the, after I finished the program, I stayed in New York trying to find full-time work. And it just, it, we graduated in the beginning of 2009. So the economy had kind of took a nosedive. Um, right. So not, <laughs> not many people were hiring and I really didn't want to go back to Texas yet um, or leave New York city. So I kind of, you know, pushed through and I worked for a little while at the, um, at the Metropolitan Museum of Art, actually, in their visitor services department. I worked a little uh, part-time for an off-Broadway theater. But I very much quintessentially did, like, the New York thing <laughs> where you're just working a million jobs trying to survive. So kind of after all of that, somehow I think I must have been looking for, because I, I knew that at that point, kind of just leading up to the time I moved back to Texas, my mom was like, really, you know, just maybe come back and we'll, we'll figure it out. But I didn't want to just go, like, I didn't want to just leave with no plan. And so that's where I was trying to find kind of other avenues or something, something else to pursue. And I stumbled upon the, the historic preservation uh, certificate program at UTSA. And just then I, that's when I was talked to my uh, previous instructor about historic preservation and just that whole kind of what it entailed. And also, I mean, going to these house museums too, that kind of spurred that as well. Just wondering how, you know, what, what all that entailed, you know, yes, it's a museum, but there's more to it than just people kind of wandering around in an old house, you know, filled with antiques and things like that. So I ended up applying for the program and was accepted and made the plans to move back to Texas kind of towards the beginning of that, that school year in 2010. So August, September there. And that's, that's kind of how I got into the, the preservation side of it. And 
kind of between then and now that in itself was kind of a whole other journey as well. And I'm I'm happy to talk about that if you'd like. Uh, Sure. Yeah. I mean, I I think, you know, I I like hearing everybody's sort of stories from how, what they started with to how they ended up in preservation, because it's always such an interesting process because very few people like sort of start out knowing that's what they want to do and they kind of step into it from something else. So I think it's always interesting to hear that, that story. I mean, I I did want to ask you, you know, I I do want to specifically ask you about your intern project that you did, but when you were doing your certificate, so the certificate that you have, it's how, how did that work? So it's, it's just an additional certification. It's not like another master's degree or, yeah, exactly. So it, the way I would describe it to somebody is it's a, a condensed version of okay. a, a graduate level degree. I mean, it's still it's still at that level, but it's I think I uh, want to say I got through it in about two years, but I want to say it's like 30 hours versus I think there, it's 30 credit hours plus I think a 10 week internship. At that time, there was an internship required and I actually did that with the, um, with Villa Finale, which is national trust property in San Antonio. My internship with them was focused more on again, curating. And at that time, uh, 20, I guess, 2010, 2012, the, the house was um, not open yet to the public. And so they were in the process of getting that ready for tours and things like that. And so part of my experience with them was I uh, like cataloging things or items rather getting the room, getting all the uh, artifacts they were going to have out in each room placed and staged and, and that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, the certificate program itself, which I, I really, I really enjoyed it. It was, it was incredibly helpful for my, my journey here. It focused a lot on theory, which most from talking with other coworkers who've done pres- historic preservation, it seems to be focused a, a lot on theory versus actual practice or kind of like in terms of like with my window um, restoration type things, it, it, I didn't really know that I wanted to do more hands-on or pursue that side of it mm-hmm. until much later. I knew it existed. It just really, for some reason, didn't, didn't strike me as really how I wanted to pursue preservation. So kind of segueing into what you were talking about with the bowling alley. So that internship came before it actually led up to my um, getting hired with the Office of Historic Preservation. That one, at that point, I had already worked for the Omni Hotel here in San Antonio and another small historic boutique hotel in Austin, specifically in their maintenance department. And working, let me back up a little bit. When I graduated from UTSA with the certificate, you know, I looked Mm -hmm far and wide for preservation related jobs and just could not, it was really hard. Nobody was hiring still. And it was hard to find one that, that I could really, or was really qualified for. And so I um, applied randomly for a guest services position with the Omni hotel. Um, mm-hmm. We have two in San Antonio. So I, it was one that was out away from downtown, but anyway, um, I got hired with them and about three months in, I was already actually ready to quit because I was not having any fun. I love customer service, but this hotel customer service is very different from <laughs> yeah. anything, <I've, laughs> anything else I've experienced. And so at that point, 
we, our hours were kind of low and my manager had approached me and asked if I was interested in getting additional hours, helping with administrative type work with the engineering department. And I, you know, I thought, okay, maybe sure. Like what, you know, I wanted more information. So I had talked to the director of engineering and he kind of explained, you know, it's very, very just kind of back of house, you know, kind of catching up on backlog paperwork stuff that he just did not time for that we didn't, I don't think we had an assistant director at that time. And so I did a couple of weeks with them just kind of doing that stuff and kind of in that asking the questions like, well, okay, what, what is this for? Or, you know, what do you guys do? And, and just kind of delving more into what that department did. The director eventually approached me and said, Hey, I have an entry level technician position that's going to come open. You know, are you interested in, in potentially applying? And I thought, well, maybe let me, can I like shadow somebody just to kind of see what the day-to-day routine is. Mm -hmm. And I did that for a few days and I really just something clicked and I, I was really, I guess, had an aptitude for it. And then I then spent, I think the next maybe year and a half or so um, with the, with the maintenance, the engineering department was running around, like fixing stuff in the hotel and problem solving. And I did that for a little while. And then had been encouraged to go into management, which I had never really been interested in. I'm still kind of, it's not really my favorite thing to do, but I wanted to do it just to, just to try it and, you know, not pass up the opportunity. So I did that for about six months and was like, "Mm, this is not for me. And um, (laughs) so I made the decision to actually quit. I did resign. Then, you know, it took a little, a little breather and continue to look for, try to figure out, okay, do I want to pursue preservation? Do I want to you know, stay within the kind of maintenance realm? Then this job in um, Austin opened with the, um, I think it was called Hotel Ella. And it's um, just a, I think they only have maybe 30 rooms, 30 or 40 rooms. And part of it's in this beautiful, I think it was like a colonial revival, if I'm not mistaken, uh, mansion, just kind of really close to all things Austin. The drive was kind of brutal, but other than that, yeah. <laughs> it, um, it was really cool. And I, you know, I, my, my intent was, you know, okay, I can combine, you know, my knowledge of historic preservation practices with, you know, this maintenance background I have mm-hmm. and they, you know, they loved it. They really were the folks who hired me were really receptive to that. And so I did that for a little while. And then I found the, um, the internship at Lindhurst mansion in New York. Okay. And talked to my my mom and my boyfriend and everybody involved and was kind of just figuring out like, okay, can we make this happen? Like, should I just, you know, quit this job and like go for it? And we managed to make it work. And it was a 10 week internship. And um, that's really where I kind of realized I was like, okay, maybe this will help open doors um, as far as preservation opportunities for more of that hands-on preservation methods and practices and do, getting it getting involved in that versus the, um, you know, like research or teaching or things like that. Yeah. I, I had a professor, a professor, Jean Sizik, who, who was the, the, um, head of the program at Tulane when I was there and he's retired now, but yeah, he always said that you, you do so much work for free (laughs) when, (laughs) when you, when you're doing preservation, just to, just to like get the hands-on experience and get your name out there. And, you know, you have to be willing to put in that time to, to do that kind of stuff. 
if you want to, you know, make a name for yourself. And yeah. um, it kind of sounds like that's what you had to do. You had to make the hard decision. Can I figure out how to make this work to do this internship? You know, and it sounds like you had a supportive family, which is really great. My, my mom was always really supportive of me uh, trying to do this kind of stuff too. And, you know, it, sometimes you just have to take a big leap and <laughs> hope that it works out, I guess. Uh, yes. Yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it, it sounds like it worked out for you pretty well. So that's good. So can we talk a little bit more in depth about that, that internship? So it was with the National Trust at the Lindhurst Mansion. And you were directly involved um, with the restoration of a 19th century bowling alley, which just sounds like really, really cool to me. So can, can you talk about that some more in depth for us? Yeah, sure. So it was it was me and three other um, amazing interns who were working on this project. And we were tasked with, and work had been kind of ongoing um, on the bowling alley in, in an effort to get it open for tours and all of that um, as part of the, the Lindhurst property. And so um, the summer of 2015, uh, we were tasked with essentially and I'm trying to I'm trying to think the best way to explain it. So if you're if you're standing in front, like if you're standing in the building, there are two two bowling alleys, and then there's like a little gallery off to the side. And so our we were tasked with reinstalling beadboard that had been um, removed early on, kind of as part because the I think the the structure itself had had been had sat for a long time vacant and. I think it had suffered some severe water damage and shifting. And so a lot of the interior beadboard and other decorative like pieces and interior finishes rather were removed and stored on site. So they were all, we all still, it, it was still there. We just had to basically put it all back together like a puzzle. Okay. Um, and so uh, the four of us were tasked with, with doing that and also kind of re, refinishing some of the, the beadboard because essentially the, the entire um, interior of the, the, like the bowling alley space itself is this, you know, just beadboard. And that became the running joke apparently before, even before I, I had started just, we, we were all kind of sick of beadboard after, <laughs> after that, because they're, they're literally, there's just so much that mm-hmm. had to be reinstalled. Um, it's actually, it's beautiful. I love it. But every time I see beadboard now, I just kind of have to laugh at myself. Um, <laughs> this experience. And so in addition to the, to the bowling alley, that was our focus. And then there were times where we were able to get a little bit of experience on um, like randomly on, like on windows or on um, repointing uh, masonry. They were a contractor was actually finishing up installing a new cedar shake or cedar shingle um, roof when we were there. So we got to see how they did that. It was it was pretty pretty phenomenal just to kind of see all of those pieces coming together. We worked about four days a week, and then the other you know Friday, Saturday, Sunday we had kind of free time to explore um, New York and other surrounding cities and states. And we did some field field trips during the week as well. I got to see some things that even though when I lived in New York City, I really I didn't leave the island very often. So going back, I always love going back and being able to kind of ex- get out of Manhattan and just because there's so much there. There's so like I don't think people realize like living in Texas, you you have you drive, you know, a full day and you're still in Texas. Right. Um, 
whereas, you know, if you're if you go further towards the East Coast, you, know, you could maybe drive like an hour or two and be in, you've already crossed like two or three states. That's probably exaggerating, but at least, you know, you know what I mean. <laughs> so, yeah, so this, it was a pretty great experience. And I, I honestly, I think having that experience really, really helped um, actually potentially get, get the job I'm in now, but also just kind of furthered my appreciation for the trades and the work that, you know, artisans do and, and experience and all of that. So it was pretty, it was, it was a really great experience, I have to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I always, I, I'm glad to to know that they let you guys kind of go out and like explore and uh, find some, some neat things to do on the weekends. Cause that, that's always fun. If I, if I go somewhere for a conference or a training or something like that, I always try to build in a little time to at least see what else is around, <laughs> you know, other things around. I, I went to, um, I went to Dallas um, at the beginning of May for the Fan Expo, which is basically like a Comic-Con type of event. And um, I was not there for preservation or anything like that, but I was still able to find just by walking around downtown where we were a bunch of like historic buildings and things listed on the National Register and also a giant eyeball sculpture that is a thing in Dallas <laughs> that I didn't know was there until we walked past it. Oh my uh, gosh. So yeah, that was, it was interesting. So yeah, that's really cool. Um, I like hearing stories like that. So you got all this experience and then you were like, this is what I want to do now. I want to do hands-on stuff for sure. Or, I mean, were you still um, kind of thinking about it or... <laughs> That's, that's a good question. Yeah, I think I think I really, um, really wanted something having to do with actually the hands on, like actually doing the preservation work itself, you know, actually, because I think it is that kind of came from from the maintenance experience. Like I have. If I have something that needs to be fixed or it's otherwise damaged, you know, it's like I want I want to be able to to be the one to to make it make it better again. And having that tangible, that tangible thing to, I guess, to show for my, my efforts for lack of a better term. And that's it. That really kind of helps, I guess, drive, drive me. So at that point I, I knew that I, I did certainly want to pursue something like that. So I finished that. I came back to Texas and I was, I, I was looking kind of across across the country because I, I didn't really want to limit myself to to Texas necessarily but I am I'm really glad that I was able to get the opportunity to to stay in hindsight mainly because my boyfriend and I we've been together for gosh six years now mm-hmm. <laughs> and he he is pretty pretty settled where he is and I like realistically like yes you know I could have moved somewhere and started over but I I really I'm just, I'm really glad that I was able to to find something close by and I didn't have to, to pack up and leave or move us somewhere else. Cause my family's, I, my mom lives in San Antonio. Jason's parents are here. He's born and raised in New Braunfels. Um, so he wasn't really wanting to go anywhere else. Right. So, so I had talked to a friend of mine had actually worked uh, with this, with the, the office of historic preservation. And she told me about the recent job posting. And so i you know, I'd asked her about it and she gave me some information about kind of what, what it was like. And it was much more, and I honestly, and it's going to sound crazy and, um, or kind of silly, but I, 
I really didn't know the much of the regulatory side of historic preservation, um, mm -hmm. you know, exactly what what these offices do. And so um, I, I applied with just I really wasn't sure what I was getting myself into because I knew it was more, you know, not anything hands on, at least not up front. It was more, you know, it was certainly the regulatory side of historic preservation. I applied, interviewed. I honestly thought, and maybe I shouldn't say this, but I'm going to, I kind of thought my interview did not go well. Like personally, <laughs> I just, I interviewed well. And I was really surprised to get a call back and a job offer for that matter. But yeah. And so um, I think through working with the Office of Historic Preservation, I've been there for um, almost, it'll be four years in September. Okay. Will be my, my four year mark. And so I've been there quite, it feels like longer sometimes, but at any rate, the, I've been really fortunate because kind of through the, the office, you know, we do offer varying like workshops and things like that. And so I'm, I'm able to still kind of do the hands-on in terms of, you know, teaching or giving presentations or things like that. And then also I'm able to do a lot outside of the office, like here in New Braunfels or um, like in, on my own, on my own time. So there's, it's, I've, I think I found a good way to kind of marry marry the two. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, you kind of sort of touched on the, like what I was going to talk about next, <laughs> you know, as your work as a preservation specialist for the city of San Antonio. So you do some, you said some like demonstrations and hands-on work and stuff like that, but you do some COA reviews as well in your position. Can you talk about that a little bit? Uh, and you can be yeah. as vague as you need to be. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, in general, um, the, the bulk of my my position, kind of what I do on a day-to-day -day basis is to review. So we call them certificates of appropriateness. I know different offices may refer to them as certificates of alteration, but COA for short. And essentially what that is, is uh, if somebody comes in and they're requesting to, you know, make repairs or modifications to their historically designated property, then I'll review. Um, and if it's something that we can do administratively, so like, you know, generally like in-kind repairs, painting, very minimal things, then I'll usually get those reviewed and processed and back to the customer so they can get their permit and otherwise start the work. And then I do, you know, I help with some plan review, some demolition review things of that nature. So it is very much office-based, um, but there are opportunities to get out in the field and things like that. So that's pretty much in a nutshell <laughs> what I do for the city. Right. Yeah. And I guess, I guess it's sort of like every city has their own organization and they all kind of do things a little bit differently. You know, I've had previous guests on the show. I had Russell Archer and he is basically one-stop shop. He's the only man for the city of Hattiesburg, Mississippi. He basically does everything. He, he doesn't have the joy of working, you know, having people on a team with him. He's in charge of sort of all of that stuff. And then yeah. I also had Erica Gates as a previous guest who yeah, works now as a consultant, but previously worked for the VCC, which is the body that governs the French Quarter. And, and she went through all of that stuff, all of the certification processes and the certificates and how all that stuff is regulated and managed and 
Yeah, I have to be honest, there was a lot of that stuff that I didn't know either until I was able to talk to those two guests about like more specific processes, I guess, of how different groups do, you know, their their own thing. So it's really interesting to to find out how how different organizations set that stuff up and how they they process those. uh, I can't think of the word. My brain's not working today. They're, they just like manage their historic properties and historic districts, I guess. The, just a quick question: that the does that office also help with? Uh, I don't just. Um, yeah. So the from what I understand, and I guess I, we may be able to include. I don't know. I know at the um, state level, so through the SHPO, um, there are state tax credits. Okay. Um, and then our we we do at the local level we do have a, ta- a local tax incentive. It's a credit. It's more of a um, it, it'll impact the um, the city's local taxes if a property undergoes rehabilitation. Okay. Um, we, we definitely we do offer that, and I, I really hope that that you'll get um, our HPO Shannon to be on the show because like she can she can go into all the other like stuff our department does. We do some really cool things. But, but yeah, I guess to answer the question, yes, we do. We do have a local, um, a local incentive. Um, but then Texas does, yes, have have credits as a well. State credit, okay, okay. Yeah, state credit. All right, perfect. Yeah, I'll try to reach out to her too because I definitely have some other like more specific <laughs> questions. <laughs> Plus, I haven't really talked to too many people in Texas so far, and you know, I've learned about obviously a lot about what Louisiana does, what Mississippi does. So I'm trying to expand a little bit and. Uh, get that umbrella over some other other states to see what they're doing out there yeah yeah okay uh Uh, let's see to um to circle back to what you were asking about different cities like how they regulate i know it's so i'm on the um new braunfels here in new braunfels it's the same you know we have a local historic preservation officer and such a small town similar because like with san antonio like our office i think we have like 20 employees like just in our office mm-hmm. and that's it's really rare like there are some bigger cities that have um, a similar count but in New Braunfels we we have a local it's it's called the Historic Landmarks Commission okay and so that that entity essentially it's um it's made up of members of the community and um, I serve on that board as well and so we'll review requests that that come in that that are not eligible for staff approval um, so we'll review, you know, again, kind of requests for alterations or things like that. And essentially like make a, not really a recommendation, but it's like taking action to either like, okay, yes, you know, approve your request as submitted or otherwise. And so it's like an, an advisory capacity for lack of a better term. So do they have, are there any national register districts there? Oh, um, I know we have a couple of National Register properties, I'm pretty sure. Districts, I'm, I'm not sure, and I, I, I'm embarrassed because I feel like I should know the answer to that. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, I know in San Antonio we do. We have, I think, at least two, maybe three National Register districts and, mm-hmm. and a, a number of, of individual properties. Oh, yes, we do. The town of Green, and it's spelled G-R-U-E-N-E. It's here in, it's technically within, I think, the city limits of New Braunfels, um, but it itself is a National Register district. And it's a little, 
a little like German settlement, I think. Okay. Um, and there's still some, they have a cute little, um, I kind of, it's kind of a main street ish. Like it's literally, if you, you basically, you drive up across one of the rivers and it's like literally like a one kind of a one street like town. It's very small, but it still has um, some really great structures from the original settlement. There's a green hall, which is an older dance hall um, here in town. And um, it's been, gosh, I want to say it was established in the late 19th century. I could be completely off. I don't go to green very often because it's, it's usually very crowded in the summertime. And so um, it's just, it's a headache to get, to get through there, but, um, but it's still very, very charming. <laughs> Is it a big like tourist destination? They have a lot yes. of people come visit. Okay. Yeah. Huh. Yes. Yeah, so Ronville's itself is very, very popular because we have the um, Guadalupe River and Comal River that run through here. Okay. And we have Clitterbond Water Park. And so during the summer months, it's incredibly busy with people coming to kayak and float the river. They come here to go to the water park. And then, you know, green is just kind of, it's green is here. And so, you know, people just happen to pass through or they, they may just, they may come specifically to see the whole town. And then New Braunfels itself is, it's an older German um, settlement. I want to say it was founded in 1846, maybe 1850. And so it's been around for quite some time. <laughs> so it's, mm-hmm. it's a popular destination in itself. So are you, aside from being on the board, um, are you involved in any other organizations there in town that, that might do with preservation or city planning or anything like that? Um, so I'm also involved in the Association for Preservation Technologies um, Texas chapter. Okay. And I'm uh, actually one of their um, co-directors for specifically for like San Antonio and the Southern region, along with a friend of mine. Um, her name's Elena Jordan. She's my, my fellow co-director of the area. And so I'm, I'm relatively new to that board. And so kind of what, what we do is, but being a, um, like a chapter of the, the international organization, APT, we, you know, we're definitely, we're pr- promoting um, historic preservation and methods, materials, and, and things like that. We do a lot, we actually, we do a lot kind of through, how can I put this? We're trying to do more um, activities like through APT alone versus having to partner with, with other entities. Not that we don't like doing that, but I've noticed that we, um, we're still kind of a small group. And so mm-hmm. um, we still, you know, have the capacity to like host maybe like a workshop or lecture or things like that, having to do with means materials and the actual like technical side of preservation. Okay. That sounds really interesting. And and I assume that this is all volunteer, correct? Correct. Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yep. It's always, always volunteer work every time. <laughs> so you're also, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, I just gleaned this information from your Instagram page, but you're, you're restoring your own historic home right now. Is that correct? Um, yeah, slowly but surely, yes. Okay. <laughs> so do you guys yeah. live in it while you're working on it? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So it's, um, it's a little, like, three-room Victorian little house, probably built in the 19-teens. We actually live r- literally right across from Schlitterbahn Water Park, so <laughs> our view is kind of fun to see all the people kind of there. Um, but, so, it's kind of a funny story. 
when so I'm I Jason's been here for a while. Um, and so when we met, you know, I just I ended up moving with him, then kind of realizing, hey, we have these great wood windows. I took on the task of so one of them actually let me back up. The only reason I kind of jumped at it was because one of the windows was broken. The the glass, basically the one of the bottom rails of one of the sashes had kind of fallen down. So the glass then also fell. And so now we have this hole in the window. Yeah. Um, and so one Saturday I told Jason, I said, Hey, let's, you know, let's try to fix it. He's like, okay. And so we, knowing what I know now, I did it the hard way. <laughs> and, but I got, you know, I, I managed to, we got, we got it fixed. Um, and I proceeded to do that to all of the windows just to at least get them re re-roped so they would open mm-hmm. but I did it there's there's just easier ways to do it instead of going just taking it apart from the inside like I did it from the outside I had pulled off the casing and just did stuff that really I didn't have to do and so looking at what I know now I'm actually now in the process of mm-hmm. correcting what I've done or what I did several years ago and so right now I'm trying to trying to do at least like one window a weekend, depending on time and stuff like that. Because the windows themselves are in good shape. It's just getting them, you know, reglazed, repainted, things like that, building screens so we can open the windows. The house really just needs to be scraped and painted. Because it really, it really doesn't need a whole lot of help from what I can tell now. But Jason mentioned the foundation might need to be redone at some point but that's way down the line and we I don't even know if we'll stay here forever because he has his family has property out out in the county and he had thought like his his goal would be to live go basically live out there and there's an old farmhouse out there too that I would love to fix up but I think it's beyond our our financial means right now Uh, Um, so we will we will see but mm -hmm. um but no, it's, it's a lot of fun. And I, um, again, kind of like I was, I was working on one of the windows a couple weekends ago and I had several people kind of stop and ask what I was doing. And I was more than happy to tell them because they, and immediately they're like, Oh, is this an investment property? Are you replacing the windows? Like, okay, no. And no, <laughs> um, like I, I do live here and I'm actually restoring the windows. I'm like, Oh, mm-hmm. really? Well. So then we have that conversation. And at one point I had, and I, you know, it may be down the line, I may pursue this again, but um, it's just, I don't have time, but doing in, in restoring my own and even kind of getting, getting involved with the whole um, wood window restoration movement and, and basically like there's just, just amazing groups that I've joined. And there are so many people who, who've been doing it for years and, they just absolutely love what they do. And just having that experience, I had thought about trying to do it myself, like go into business as a um, a wood window restoration specialist, um, mm-hmm. as it were. Just right now, though, it's just I it's 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 difficult in terms of, of time, first of all, and then mm-hmm. um, having anything outside of my current job. Basically, I just have to give them like in writing, like what I'm doing. But if I usually I really at that time when I was, when I had that permission and was doing that, I did, I think one job in San Antonio and it, it took me all weekend and it was maybe for like one or two sashes. Like it really wasn't even a big, a big job, but 
but yeah, it's just really just time right now is, is unfortunately not something I can commit to, but I also love, like I'll go in my, my spare time, like I'll go to various window workshops hosted by different entities or organizations. And then I, I just, I love sharing kind of what I've, what I've learned and what I know, you know, with, with anybody who will, who's interested really in, in learning, I'm trying to think of other things that have come up. We might be able to do, um, I've been working with the HPO here in New Braunfels to try and potentially get something set up on one of their um, old firehouses, like a window workshop to help just give any really, you know, people the training that they might need to do that. Cause I don't think they have very many people here in town who, who do it for a living um, or who have the, the necessary skills to do it correctly. I think about that too, sometimes like trying to do some stuff in the neighborhood here, just, you know, little demonstrations or something for, for people to just kind of see how everything works. There's, there's a group in New Orleans, the VCC foundation that does, they just started this program where they're, they're, they're basing them in, in the French quarter. Cause that's where the organization's based out of, but they're doing these sort of every other month or so they're doing um, little seminars where people in the neighborhood can sign up and come and it's, and it's free. And the first one that they did was about brick and uh, you know, taking care of your historic brick and repointing and making sure you're getting the best people to work on that material. And then the one they did after that was for historic windows, and it was the same kind of thing. They had a professional come and talk about it and do a small demonstration, so the the building owners in the neighborhood could get a better idea of what how they needed to take care of their historic buildings. And yeah. Um, I just think that that those are like really great programs to have for people to share that information because if if you're not I think sometimes homeowners like if you're not directly involved with say you you have a, a property that's on a, a listing, a local or a national listing, or you don't interact with those organizations as just say re- just a regular Joe Schmo homeowner like for example, my neighbors or my landlords, you know, you don't get that information because you're not dealing with anyone that tells you this is not the right thing to do or, um, or just sort of gently guides you in the right direction. I think those, those kind of like neighborhood things where people can just come and go, Oh, you know, this has been really educational. Let me take this back to my home that I didn't realize I should be doing this, (laughs) I guess. (laughs) Yeah. So. And I think, yeah, I think it's also helpful. Like say if you as a homeowner is also going to you know, hire somebody to do this work for you, you can then be at least knowledgeable enough to kind of check them on, right. on their methods or what they're doing. It's like, well, mm-hmm. wait a minute, maybe that's not the best practice for my, whatever it is, my window or my, my, my masonry, my masonry um, exterior or yeah. something like that. But yeah, because we, gosh, we get so many, like, I don't know what it is, but we get, we've been getting a number of requests to paint brick. And it just, like, I tell folks, it's like, no, like, we're not, you can make the request, but we're not going to approve that. And like, oh, why not? Like, I've seen it on, you know, HDTV or like all these, like, whatever <laughs> they find it on. And like, right. No, but here's why. Here's why you should not do that. Mm-hmm. And I think once, like, once they understand the, um, the reasoning, you know, like, okay, you know, like, here's how things are going to react. And like, here's the science behind it. Like, this is why 
you should not do this or you should use this material versus this one just so they can make that educated decision and maybe they want to move forward with it. I don't know. But yeah, I think it's just it. And I, and I get to do that a lot or some at the city too. It's like, it's, I think what I enjoy a lot is being able to educate like my, my customers who come in. So like I get a lot of, I call them regulars, but they're, you know, they, they're either the property owner or they're investors in the neighborhood. And so they're, they've been, you know, acquiring and selling houses in historic districts. So they'll come in and, you know, say, I want to do this. And it's like, well, you know, let's maybe try this instead. Or, you know, here's why you want to try and use this material or this method. And still being able to share that, that knowledge that I've gained with, with folks is, is still really, I really enjoy it. So that's, that's kind of cool to do that too. Mm -hmm. So I guess we can move on to my next set of questions. And this is my favorite thing to ask people because I like to hear their answers. And these are sort of my, my sort of close out questions at the end that I like to ask everybody. But what is your favorite thing about preservation? My, my favorite thing about preservation is the, is the commu- is community. And um, kind of through, through my journey, I've met so many amazing people who we all kind of have the same, same goal. You know, it's, it's about you know, saving, saving places for lack of a better cliche, you know, it's also about the intangible pieces of it as well. So like the, the stories behind the different, the different places, um, whether it's a, a physical building or a site or something like that. And it's, it's such, it's a growing community, but I, you can still, you can still, you know, know somebody like two or three degrees separation, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, Hey, I and so, oh yeah, me too. Like I, I went to school with them or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think that that's my favorite thing is, is just the growing community that preservation spurs. Yeah. It's, it's about those connections. Definitely. Definitely. Okay. So on the flip side of that, what is your least favorite thing about preservation and do you have any preservation pet peeves? I, it's going to sound cliche, but the pet peeve I think is is everyone wanting to replace their windows? Yeah, it's ongoing, <laughs> it's ongoing discussion. Um, I don't want to say it's a battle. Like I just, I don't, I don't like to put it in those terms. But it's just this ongoing. Like, how do we, how do we coexist um, mm-hmm. with, you know, folks who like want to retain the original material versus, you know, those who who want to, you know, replace the windows for whatever the reason is and just being being able to have those those discussions and and give the, the customer kind of the the facts about like here's at least on the rest, restoration side you know here's here's why we encourage it you know we don't just tell you to tell you like there are people who are trained and have been doing it for you know x amount of years and and that i guess that would fall under what i least like about preservation well, actually, I think what I, my least favorite thing would be, um, we get a lot of demolition requests as well. And that's, that's really hard. But I think in general, like demolition is just really tugs at my heartstrings. Yeah, I've had a few guests on before that have been staunch, not opponents, but, you know, just that, that same feeling about, about demolitions, that the, the, oftentimes there's, 
not a need or some people feel like they have to just jump straight to that without perhaps taking in all the different options that might be available for a specific mm-hmm. property. I don't run into that personally with what I do, but I, I've talked to plenty of people that have that same feeling and I, I can definitely see. I, I would I am always like adaptive reuse is my my favorite thing to see. Like I just love those successful stories, even if it's not like what I would do with a building or what I would envision somebody would do with it. As long as it's, as long as somebody's doing something and saving, saving these locations in a relatively appropriate manner, then I, I, I I can't get mad at that. It's still better than losing it, you know? So yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, in case our listeners have any questions or they just want to follow you on social media, how can they get in touch with you? Sure. So I'm on um, Instagram and my handle is preservation gal, all one word. Also, I'm on, you can email me at preservationgal.katie at gmail.com. You can also find me on Facebook just under Katie Totman. I think you have to friend me, but um, if you want to, you can follow me. I'm really not on there a whole lot. So it's better to do like Instagram if you want to catch up. Okay. (laughs) And I'll post, I always post the links to that stuff too on the show notes on the website. So people can find it easy uh, if they don't have a chance to write it down when they're listening to the episode too. So Katie posts some really interesting pictures. And uh, if if you want to follow her, I would definitely suggest it. I like following everybody. (laughs) It's like, if you, if you look at my Instagram stuff, it's like, I have like three times as many people that I follow versus the people that follow me. (laughs) (laughs) Because <laughs> I just I just like to look at everybody's stuff and see the projects that people are working on. And I just think it's really cool to see all the fun things that people are doing. So and it's how I find my guests, obviously, <laughs> a lot of times. <laughs> all right. Um, I think that's all we have for you today, Katie. Thank you for being a guest on the show. Sure. Thanks so much for having me. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Let us know what you think by leaving a review on iTunes. If you would like to get a direct link to our guest's information or just want to give us a shout, you can contact us by visiting our website at preservationdestination.com. There you can check out each show's notes and much more information about the podcast. If you prefer good old-fashioned social media, we are also on Instagram and Facebook as Preservation Destination. Feel free to give us a like and click the follow button to stay informed about upcoming episodes. Again, thank you for being with us and we hope you'll join us again next time here on Preservation Destination.